Oh, don't you even act like you were doing work. Because you weren't. I know you weren't. I know you weren't because I see you. You just logged on to the live stream. So you weren't really working. So don't act like you were doing work all of a sudden. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to blast you about it later. That's all right. You're fine with that. You've been thinking about what am I going to do with the rest of my day? Anyhow, it's mid-work day and I'm ready to go and it's time to get off of here. And Well, you're going to listen to this show because we're going to talk. Uh, am I... Am I getting a reverb effect? I'm getting a little bit of something here. Let me see if I can fix that. So while I do that, I want you guys to go and let's fix this. All right, there we go. That's not it. Out of nowhere, it just started happening. Here we go. All right, I fixed it. I still know how to do this. It's been a two weeks, but I still know how to do it. All right, so I want you guys to go and share the show. I am talking with the good bishop. Uh, I always want to call you doctor, but that's not it, it's David Reese is with me. We've been talking about about civic covenanting. It's one of my favorite conversations to have ever since uh, everyone has been talking about Christian nationalism. Everybody's been trying to talk about how to change America. And I feel like no one's really started at the core of the problem, which is you. I know you hate hearing about that, but you love talking about yourself. But the truth is. We're the problem. We are at the core of the problem of why our nation is where it is. And everybody seems to have a great answer of how to fix our nation without starting at the core of the problem. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed about with talking with the good Bishop Reese here is that he has, as a good theonomist, as a good Puritan, always started right at the very core of the problem. Brother, it's so good to talk with you again. Um, I can't wait to have this conversation, but I'm going to hit you with the sidebar. You ready? <laughs> uh oh, I, I, look at this. I forgot how to do it. You're good. It's a yeah, good. Uh, honor to be here. And uh, as usual, the problem is you. <laughs> that, and, I, you know, and that's my favorite topic. So I, I love I love talking about this. Did you watch the Super Bowl? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. So, serious questions. <laughs> first of all first of all it's on the lord's day secondly secondly it is i mean I, the, the, you know the show it's going to be filled with all sorts of immodesty whatever the shows are whatever the commercials are i mean like i'm like i, I hear there's this desktop about a bad you know fake christian commercial on there or whatever like okay like is this a surprise to anybody like like the Super Bowl exists to offend Christian sensibilities. Like, like if you were trying to invent a thing that were as offensive to Christian sensibilities as possible while trying to pretend to be American values, it would be the Super Bowl. Sorry. Well, <clears throat> that was, I couldn't control myself. So let's talk about um, steel and body armor and uh, <clears throat> I'm manufacturing. Sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I just ruined everything there. I'm sorry. I couldn't. No, I don't want to talk about worst, it anymore. I'm, I'm the worst guest that could ever guess no, an opportunity. No, no, just you know, that's okay. That's fine. I don't want to. I just don't. Want, all of a sudden, I don't want to talk about the Super Bowl anymore. I, I don't really care. You know, that's fine. That's, that's good. I'm that's glad. Good. <laughs> that's just, that was your goal. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we're not going to talk about. I tell you that. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> I, I, I did. I did wonder because I know you didn't watch, but I did wonder if the stink up over the he gets us ad got to you, and if you've seen it at all. And I, I always am interested to see your thoughts culturally, because you you just move differently. And I think the idea and culture of puritanism has been lost in America. The ethic of work surely has been lost in America. That's come from that. 
And and so you you know you're restoring that historical Christian foundation in a lot of ways. And so I'm interested in see like if you what you thought about it. So I I haven't seen the ad. Um, I have seen like two screenshots of the ad, which my understanding is there's like a you know, effeminate looking man being, you know, having his feet washed, wearing like capris and, and the guy washing his feet looks like a Romanist priest. And then uh, there's some like womanish, mannish looking woman, I don't know, sitting outside of a Planned Parenthood or something like that. And then there's somebody washing feet and there's people off on the side. And so that's that's the extent of my knowledge, right? And that he gets us, right? That he is Jesus. I've seen he gets us on some stuff for a while. And I've been like, yeah. this is bad. I don't know what this is, but this is bad. And and it's just like this idea that like we need to emphasize for, for the idea that God, like Jesus gets us. This, this idea that he gets us, what is this meant to do, right? This is meant to do is to be like, it's okay. It's okay. You're, you're okay. We're, you're okay. We're okay. Right. This is a diminution of sin thing, right? That's the, that's the idea of he gets us is Jesus isn't too hard to approach because he doesn't really, he's not very good. Mm. I think that's kind of the idea. Yeah. But he does get to us. And that's why, you know, that's why he's predestined most of the people who have been born so far to go to hell. And he's also going to predestine that most of the race of man is going to be redeemed from hell though they deserve it. Um, because of the fact that they are going to have the redemption that he accomplished on the cross applied to them because he's going to fill the earth with the knowledge of himself as the waters cover the sea. That's what's going to happen. He gets us. He gets our problem. Our problem is that we are horrifically wicked beyond our own reckoning. Um, and that if we could, we would destroy everything good and make everything ugly. Right. And so, so this, like he gets us, I, I, I don't know, like the pretense that there's not a problem, like everybody's miserable and killing themselves and taking drugs. Mm. Right? Like, like what's so good? What, what are we trying to, like, what are we trying to protect here about the total decay of our own society where people are killing themselves with drugs and um, find everything to be meaningless. And they're trying to pursue promiscuity and, 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 avoiding having children and like all this kind of stuff. So it's like, why are we appealing to the sensibilities of the left trying to make them feel better? Let's, let's show them that they're miserable and make them stare it in the face. And then let's try to show them that there's a solution to it. And so that's my read on the, he gets us. Um, that was my read on the billboard that I saw, you know, that, that says he gets us that I saw driving around Phoenix um, but but I haven't seen the actual commercial. So am I missing it? Am no, I only- no, I think you're right on. You know, part of it, can I, I just want to push back a little bit. I have a position on this, but this isn't mine. But I just want to give like, try and be as fair as I can to the other side. And I think this goes inside of the conversation we're going to have today about personal responsibility, personal duty in the context of civic covenanting, right? But a lot of people who own businesses and companies who are Christians are looking at the landscape and they're saying, David, do you know that we live, according to Aaron Wren, who I think is right about this, we're living in this negative world where Christianity itself is not the leading um, cultural accepted position anymore. Christianity and Christ and the gospel, it's not for the first time in over 400 years in the West, not just in America, in the West, that Christianity is on the outs and we are not controlled by Christian thought anymore. And so we are Christians. We have Christian businesses. We're trying to create Christian wealth. We're trying to advance the kingdom of God. And we need a brand rebuild. 
And so we have to do something that culturally impacts society so that we can move around freely uh, with our companies, with our businesses, and with church growth and the gospel and, and peace. And so here is our attempt at trying to let the world understand and know we're not haters. Christians aren't haters. We are the kind of people that love. Oh, why are you laughing? I don't even like the smirk on your face. It's so hilarious. I, 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 I hate what's evil and I love what's good. But I'm about I mean, to like, start, sorry, I was about to start calling you Strawberry Zwingli again because it's about to That's be blood fair. everywhere. <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel it. But you got to understand. So, because the guys who are behind this campaign, at least the ones who've given a lot of money to the Green family, the Godly family, love the Lord. And they are sitting up here saying, look, we don't have any favor whatsoever in the courts in the secular world. We're trying to garnish public favor once again. So this is this is a campaign or a setup to try and help advance uh, a clear understanding of the love that is the gospel of Jesus Christ effeminate hand model hair model jesus is not the brand we need right? we we don't need the milky white long hair male that is the creation of the renaissance homosexuals to be the god that we try to put forward to everybody else what we need is the masculine reality jesus and we don't need to make pictures of him by the way mm-hmm. and what we need to do is we need to we need to project that out, right? The negative world, Aaron Wren, absolutely right. We've been in the negative world since about the restoration of the monarchy in Britain. Mm. Okay, like we, we, we can go to the 1650s and the 1660s, and we can pretty easily see that there's a, a breakdown there. So this is not a new thing, right? There were no Calvinists that were prominent in America in the you know middle of the 1900s. There were no post-millennials that were dominant. Uh, during that time, like like biblical Christianity that's victorious has been out of favor since at least World War One. And frankly, the Presbyterian Church in the United States stopped disciplining heretics around 1870. Okay, so so we have had a total collapse of the institutions being used properly for a long time. And what we are dealing with now is like J. Gresham Machen was able to get drummed out of the Presbyterian Church trying to defend the fundamentals of the Christian faith in the 1930s because the liberals dominated it then. We've been in a negative world for a long time. Let's not kid ourselves. The only thing that's going to help us is a masculine Protestant Christianity, the types of which hasn't been seen since things like the John Calvin's Geneva or the Puritans at Westminster, or things like that. We need to see the kind of Christianity that is not going to get pushed around by this kind of leftist nonsense. So, um, the feel-good sentimental Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Man, Darren Stiss said he wrote an article about it, and it's on the Sentinel, which I suggest everybody should go to the Sentinel. Uh, is it Sentinel.com? Is that what it is? I think so. I Yes. Yeah. I think, yes, uh, I know. I know what website it is. Absolutely. And uh, go uh, go subscribe. Sentinel is doing great work. Got great Christian journalists who are doing great work, who are giving you true information. And then you got guys like Darren Stead who's writing articles over there on the Sentinel as well. Darren is a very smart man, very good pastor, and I'm um, and uh, I I haven't read his article yet, but I I know from just knowing him, he's somebody that I can vouch for immediately. Um, somebody said the Renaissance of Man says, "What's up, Pastor Reese?" Um, so David, you know, in this in this conversation, part of what bothers me about it, will by the way, sorry. <laughs> um, 
part of what bothers me about this is that I don't think that Jesus needs a rebrand. Right. I think exactly. the, brand, the brand is set already. And this is, I said this on a show across politics, and I want to say it again. I am not for, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God into salvation. And don't forget how this works. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Yes. Our problem is not that we have a people who don't like our brand. Our problem is that we have a people who aren't regenerate. You, they won't ever like the brand. You yes. didn't like the brand. God made you new and made you love the brand. Right? Yes. Right? And so we, our marketing strategy isn't that of secularism. And it doesn't mean that we can't say good things, but um, that, that, that show the fruit of what godly life looks like. That's true. But that only comes with the gospel. And when I see ads like this, I see a people who are ashamed of the gospel yes. and some who even almost hate it. This is demonic. Okay. Yeah. Let me just say this very clearly. When we are trying to win the world with any sort of other uh, power than the power of God, which is the gospel, then what we have said is that we internally don't think that, um, that we think that our messaging and marketing is more powerful than God. We think that we have a power. It's witchcraft. We're trying to accomplish the means of God without which the, the, the blessing of God without the means of God. Yeah. And so absolutely. this is dangerous stuff. And it's dangerous because it's done by people who actually intend to do good. Yes. This is this is, you know, how many times do we hear about people who seek to do good and end up doing something bad? Don't reach for the ark. Carry mm -hmm. it how I told you to. You know, okay, I'm gonna get stirred up. This is not what we're supposed to be talking about. Well, that's but, good. And, and brother, and you and what you said was more far more basic and profound and clear. What I said, what you just expressed there is the is the heart of the issue, right? And and, and I think that's exactly right. You know, just it's it is we we have to bring the law and we have to bring the gospel. And they're going to hate the law and they're going to hate the gospel until they see themselves as they really are and they hate themselves and their own sin enough to realize that in order to seek their own good, what they need is to flee from what they once loved to the thing that they ought to love, right? So I think I think you're exactly right, and I think that. That is the point. And they hate the brand. Now, some, can Christians tarnish the brand? Sure. So you know what you do to stop tarnishing the brand? You stop sinning and you start doing what God commands better. And that we have um, an immune system for the brand. It's called sanctification and repentance, right? Like we yeah. have this, it's built into Christianity. And church so, discipline. And uh, Absolutely. That's absolutely right. That's how you get to repentance, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you have to have somebody confront you and deal with your sin and say, brother, you don't do that. Imagine if the way that we dealt with sin in our churches was like the he gets us ad. We're in trouble. Right. Hey man, he gets you. It's like, yeah, you know what? He gets you so much. He knows he had to come die for you. It took God to come and die for you in order right. for you to be made right. That's how bad you are. Right. But that's just how good he is. And because of that, oh, okay, I, I can just talk about that forever. I've, we, we're forgetting the basics. We're forgetting the most important thing. And nobody, I, here's another thing that bothered me, brother. It was that, where was the ad of the gospel? Now, as much as I wasn't happy with the he gets us ads that were going on, there were no Christian. Well, you didn't watch, so you didn't. And there was nobody who's like, you know what? Here's a great stage to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, they, they weren't there. 
They weren't there. We there was no, and you wouldn't want them to be there anyway. I already know what you're thinking. Like, that's great. <laughs> but I mean, there is there is a um there is a lack of of understanding, I think, about Christians, what's powerful. And if you have the moment to speak, what do you say? What do you what is it that you're gonna communicate? And I want to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's where the power is. Um, anyway, and I think I don't think this is separate from the conversation. Every place that we want to start, it seems like whether we're talking about civics um, and the civic realm, or we're talking about the um, in, in, in politics, or we're talking about just in public and society itself. And I think of those kind of two different areas. I'm, in my head, I'm thinking about politics in the government realm, and I'm thinking about culture and society. We never really start with the individual and their influence to be able to have an impact. And it seems like it's so small and it's such a small, insignificant place to start, but that's where the real impact is. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I think the problem, the limiter on the power of the individual is your capacity to govern yourself, right? So you, you look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that's about him. good. That's good. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's good. And, 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 and as you look at what the Lord Jesus Christ did, I mean, he did incredible stuff as, this, as one man, right? He was able to draw around himself other men, multiply, and make it so he could divide out labor by discipleship. And what he's doing is he's throwing off disciples that are not worth his time, right? You look at John chapter 6, and his goal is to, like, get rid of people. He's like, here's a bunch of dead weight. And so his goal is to get rid of people. Um, and so, where, where did he do that at? Well, you read, John, you read John chapter 6, and he's just like, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Everybody's like, this is a hard saying. He's like, is it a hard saying? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know, like he he's just he's just he just pushes in. And, and you go into um, you know, you look at the way he confronts people, like the confrontational nature of the Lord Jesus Christ is terrifying. Mm. If, if you had a conversation with a guy who argued with you the way Jesus does, first of all, you're not sharp enough to pick all that up, up on it quickly, right? Like, mm. like he gets to the heart of the issue. Like he he understands the the presuppositions of the conversation perfectly every time, and it, it like for me like I've got to sit there and meditate on it for a while and read commentaries and think about it and stew on the thing and then after a while like I go what is he what is he talking about and then I go I feel like if I had this conversation with somebody else I would feel like this is a crazy person like what is he mm. what is even the point and then I think about it a little bit longer and I go. I'm an idiot. He is getting exactly to the heart of the issue. Like, like the first reaction we have listening to Jesus is he's saying like random things in response to people. And then when we think about it carefully, we go, he is addressing the heart of the issue. And then once we realize he's addressing the heart of the issue, we start to realize he's addressing the most basic presuppositions. He's arguing against the point of misunderstanding of his opponents. He's showing them where they went off the rails, and he's doing it in very concise, clear, and systematic ways. And as he argues with people, he tends to push in and kind of repeat it in more clear ways or adding things on as they're still not getting it. And so, like, you see him, like, repeating stuff that touches on. So, like, if you go and read John chapter 6, it's this, you know, you're going to feel like he's just saying, really abrasive stuff. And he is, but he keeps addressing things. You read John chapter three, when he's talking to Nicodemus, it's the same sort of thing, right? And so you have the same thing happen when he has uh, confrontations with the Pharisees about Sabbath. You have the same thing in John chapter eight, where he talks about, you know, the, the adulterous woman and how he's the light of the world. And he's just to push in on their judgment and the fact that they're dark and they can't actually, you know, give judgments. Anyway, sorry. So this is, oh, there's, that's just, good. there's just stuff all over the place. And, and John does that, but you see it in Matthew and Mark and Luke as well. 
the way he argues with people, he's highly aggressive, highly assertive, very logical. And what he's trying to do when he's dealing with people who are public teachers is he's showing that they don't really get what they're talking about, right? They're having pretenses of knowledge without having knowledge. And so at the same time, when he deals with people who are not in public authority, he's very gentle. And so um, what, what I'm frustrated about is the fact that we don't, we don't combat in the public sphere with the level of aggression and assertiveness that we would see, for example, from the Lord Jesus Christ or the apostles. And then we often find that in private communications and in dealing with people who are not in public authority, we're often not as gentle as we ought to be. So what I have seen in my experience is, you know, a lot of people who try to handle or manhandle people who are under their authority and then who kind of treat with kit gloves people in the public sphere that are claiming to be teachers. And it's because they want the favor of the people in the public sphere and they don't really care about the people who are you know, under their authority. So the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to argue with people before they come under their, his authority to get them to go away unless they're serious. And, and you even said like this, unless they're serious. And so this is the point of uh, your point was that this is a way of not organizing, but um, managing or, or, or is it organizing power well or managing power well to get yeah, things he, done? He's managing time because he, he, he can't invest in people that are a waste of time. Right. Mm. Like, and so, so, so the, he's trying to multiply out effectiveness, right? So the individual's point of constraint is time, but it's also beyond time. It's managing themselves. The Lord Jesus Christ manages himself in such a way as to get tons of stuff done very powerfully, very focused way. He's able to pour energy, aggression, assertion into things the way he ought to. And so as a result, there's this kind of focused energy right, that he's able to put out to accomplish things. Now, the apostles copy that to some degree, and they turn the world upside down, right? And so, so this, this idea that the individual can accomplish a lot if you can govern yourself well. And then it multiplies out with teams and multiplies out with a division of labor, multiplies out with covenant institutions. But co covenant institutions, you know, you can't rule covenant institutions like the household, the church, and the state unless you can govern yourself well. So mm. I'd like to talk about you know, how... And what we talked about last week was the good, right? The goal, the good. Uh, and I'd like to remind people of some stuff about that uh, and also about the idea of increasing how much you can produce that is the good. But uh, so that, that's where I'm, I'm hoping to go. No. Okay. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. You didn't watch it, so we can't talk about it. No, well, you, please. You could tell me about it, though. I'm not telling you about it because you wouldn't give me communion next time I come to your church. Go who ahead. Is, who is playing again? <laughs> no who one. No, no, people, okay, no okay. it was, I didn't, I don't know. I was uh, too busy praying. Was Taylor Swift there? I have no idea. Who is she? Yeah, okay. I don't know either, actually. I just heard the name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yes. um, somebody said last week, yes, this was a, this is a series. Let me just uh, bring this up. The Renaissance of Men. So this, do you know this guy? Yes. Yeah. We, we've had good conversations and uh, um, we're actually going to be doing a, a show together in the not too distant future here on, uh, the idea of using the Westminster Confession. So I'm excited to have a conversation with Will. So yeah, he, he has a, um, a thing where he talks about men and the need to to be able to podcast where he talks oh, about men and, I, and the I, need to... Uh, he's in Arizona, uh, right? Yeah. I met him. He was at uh, um, Jeff and those guys' church at Apologia. He goes to Apologia, that's right. Yes, that's right. That's right. I remember then, meeting him now. 
He and, um, I, he and I met at ReformCon, and we had to, he, he let me come on and talk about business on his show a long time ago. And then he, he talks about men needing to be reborn, be you know, right. be, be reformed, and this idea of the restoration of kind of biblical masculinity. And so he said some good. He had a good uh, interview with uh, Michael Foster pretty recently. You know what? I remember. I remember now. We've met, and um, so yes, this is a series. You can find it under the playlist on our Cross Politic page. Um, inside the Pub TV app on Civic Covenanting, that's what this series is underneath. And we've started from the very, 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 very beginning, working our way from Genesis, uh, prophet, priest, and king, prophetess, priestess, and queen, and how the family and the home work and are governed, that government, all the way over to how does a church operate and work, its officers and government the pastors, uh, the elders and their wives, the deacons and their wives, and how the church courts function and operate all the way over to the civic side. And by the time the good bishop works his way through the halfway about through the church, you start seeing, oh, this is how the government is supposed to run. This is how the world should be structured and functioning. This is biblical civic covenanting. I get it. And it makes you understand this series, very, very important series to start at the beginning. If you don't get the garden right, there's no question you will mess up government. You will mess up government from civic to the, to the church to the home. Your whole life will be out of whack and out of order. If you don't get the garden right, what was Adam? What was he called to do? How was he supposed to function? What was Eve to Adam? Who's in charge, right? And it's just so good. Um, and hierarchy, everything is there. So go find the series. It's on YouTube. We've done. We've been doing this what since November, something like that, I believe. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. I can't remember what day of the week it is, so I'm not going to be real helpful on the uh, timeline. But yeah, yeah, I agree. This uh, these are required lectures for rebuilding Christendom, handcrafted by MPD. You are factually true. I appreciate you. I. <laughs> I believe that in every way. Okay, so I, you you didn't even have to stop and tell me what you want to talk about. You could have just kept going because I was in. So where do you want to start at? Because I want to be like Jesus. So quick quick refresher. Okay, so we we talked about the idea that you have to know what the good is, right? People, in order to do what's good, in order to seek what's good and live a good life, you need to know what the definition of the good is, right? So the, the good is uh, the thing that shouldn't be traded, right? You shouldn't get rid of it. Mm. You, should only, you should only trade for it. So Proverbs talks about how wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom buy wisdom do not sell wisdom right so we're we're trying to increase our possession of it and we're trying to never get rid of it so you don't want to do something where you're giving up wisdom now the other neat thing about wisdom though is that when you share it with other people it increases right and so so when you teach other people you're increasing your possession of it yourself because it reminds you and other people get it so there's sort of that idea. So the definition of the good, God is the good. He's the highest good. He's the best thing. There's nothing better than God. He's the definition of good. And then we know that the way that we as human beings possess what is good is we possess God by knowing him, right? So God manifests his glory. And then the, 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 the manifestation of his glory is the thing that we are seeking to possess. So Man, my head is like a Rubik's cube. It's just every time you talk like this, it's like another. Ch -ch 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 -ch. 
and it just starts lining up. So much starts lining up. Anyway, keep going, keep going. I don't want to God, God's attributes are his glory. God is his attributes, and we know him, we know his attributes, and thereby we possess him, right? So that's how we participate in his nature, not by becoming God, like the Eastern Orthodox would say. That's the process of theosis, but rather by taking possession in the mind. And so we're nourished by the bread of life as we eat that bread of life, as we take it in, as we take it in, as we drink the water of life, as we are taking in Christ, right? We eat his body, drink his blood in the word. And the, the Lord's Supper is a visible word. It's a symbol that reminds us of those things, right? So this is this idea of the stuff that takes it in. So the goal of the individual is to live the good life that increases the possession of the knowledge of God. And the goal of man as a race is to live in such a way as to fill the earth with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. So that looks like individuals knowing God, that it looks like spreading the knowledge of God, and that looks like displaying the knowledge of God in our enculturation in terms of actions, behaviors, the things that we do, the things that we say to each other. And that gets manifested into artifacts, right? So those artifacts would be things like books, movies, uh, you know, statues that are not images of God. Um, and then we, 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 what we would have is we would have these various pieces of artwork that don't violate the second commandment. Amen. Um, and, and, and these things are, um, are the things that are sort of the, the artifacts of that. So when you have 10 commandments on your wall, right, that's an example of a Christian artifact of culture. Um, mm, so, that's where Catholics get it mixed up, don't they? Yeah, so so, uh-huh. so they, they they end up trying. They want to make images of God or images of Jesus, and they want to do stuff that makes it so that they're they're capturing these things. They think, oh, we're gonna we're gonna do that, and that's specifically forbidden because images of God are teachers of lies. We're told, right? So, so this, um, so those are the things. The good life is defined for us in terms of the law of God. Right? The law of God teaches us the way to live the good life. And so when we talked about the good last time, we talked about the attributes of the good in terms of, this is sometimes called the formal attributes of the good. Um, and this would be sort of this idea of, of the things that distinguish the good from other things. So the, the most essential element um, of the definition of the good, again, is the thing that you buy, but you never sell, the highest value, the thing that's never worth trading. The market value is never too high to stop buying it. And, the more, and, and it's never so high that you say this time to sell, right? It's right. always time to buy the knowledge of God. So. Um, so we also talked about how the, the good in terms of the knowledge of God, it transforms you. And so it helps you to be able to govern yourself. It is cumulative. So the more, you know, the more it transforms you and it builds on itself. It's a system. There's a systematic nature to it. So it keeps building things up. Um, we also talked about the fact that it's something that you can work on with other people. So it's not just an individual work, but you work on it throughout time. So you work on it, you and I can work on it together, but we also throughout history, the church does so. And so you capture this in confessional standards. For example, the covenanted uniformity is the manifestation of the corporate development of the knowledge of God in the earth, as we we see that. Um, It's comprehensive. It addresses everything. So there's no area of choice that it misses. The law of God and the knowledge of God are such that it affects everything. So we have the goal based upon the glory of God. And then we also have this idea that the law of God teaches us about how to make every choice so that we can point all of our choices to the glory of God. Um, I just got to, right, as you're gathering to say your next phrase, I just got to say it to everybody. Go back to our last show we did. It's in the playlist. It's on the Pub App TV. That was almost a two-hour conversation where Bishop laid this out so well. And I think I caught the spirit two or three times. I almost spoke in tongues, but I didn't think the bishop could translate, and he probably would have rebuked me. It would have been the English tongue. That would have been speaking, (laughs) and it would have. Sure. 
Yeah, that was that's it. Uh, but it was it was a fantastic fantastic layout, and it was very encouraging because it also we were talking about work, and a lot of people want to talk about all the details around it without getting the good, right. getting the good because there's usually a conflict made between getting the good and uh, and worship. Right. And so God is the greatest good. Seeking after him and worshiping him gives you the knowledge to actually do good in the world. You don't even know what doing good in the world is without getting the right good, the true good, the only real good. Right. Um, And so it was just really helpful because there's always a conflict between work and God. And how do these two go together? And these two are separate. and, And this is going back, like I said earlier, get in the garden right what you're made for, metaphysical realities, of that, getting the garden right, really, and brother, you laid that out so well. I just want to encourage people. I know you're flying right past it right now, but that was last show. Go listen to it and get a much deeper dig than um, what we're able to do right now. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. And and so uh, that idea that the law of God is comprehensive and that the knowledge of God is comprehensive so that it covers everything also points to the fact that like the knowledge of God is inexhaustible, right? He's infinite. So you, you're never going to run out. You're not going to get to the bottom of the mine. You're not going to get to the bottom of the well. You're never going to run out of oil, right? There's, there's always more to get. And so that being the case, there's no running out. There's no running dry. So uh, in addition to that, it's continuing. You, you, you're going to, you, everything you build here in terms of the knowledge of God, and it's actually built by the Holy Spirit causing you to know, right? The Holy Spirit illuminates you. It continues. You take it with you, right? So the mm. Egyptians have pyramids to put all their stuff in. And they're like, well, maybe I can take my stuff if I put it in a pyramid and I kill some of my servants and we embalm them too and they're there. I mean, whatever, you know. So that idea that if we can kill stuff and, and, and put it in the tomb with us, we get to take it with us. No. But the knowledge of God we can take with us. So when you pass into glory, you don't lose any of the knowledge of God that you attain to in this life. And then from there, you're just accelerating the pace at which you're knowing more truth and so the knowledge of God is being possessed more. So you start from the, the point where you left off. So there's no wasted progress in this life in the knowledge of God. And, well, and you make human that, souls, right? Yeah. Like that's also another way. Right. And, and yes, absolutely. So as you as you disciple people and as you have children and and as you seek to disciple them, as you, you know, the people you disciple, you're you're planting goods that can't be corrupted in mm. souls that cannot die. Mm. Right. And so these this idea that it's a treasury and, and then there's rewards for that. So no good work that you ever do to glorify God will ever go unrewarded. If you do it by faith to the glory of God, according to his law, it will never go unrewarded. Amen. So the good is unalienable. It's inalienable. You can't lose it. No one can take it from you. Men can take your body. They can destroy you. They can kill you. They can take your goods. They can take your honor, but they cannot take the knowledge of God from you. And so God will preserve his elect. He keeps them to in knowing and he builds them up. So that process of growing in the knowledge of God is something where no progress is lost and it's inalienable. And so um, it's fulfilling. It satisfies. It makes it so that you stop thirsting and you stop hungering. It fulfills all of it and makes it so that all of the joys of life are increased and it's ultimate. There's nothing higher than it, right? So it's the, it's the end. It's the goal. And, and so that, that's differentiating from things like money or pleasure, or power, right? Those things are all good. They are good insofar as they are useful to glorify God. Give me more money, I can do more stuff to glorify God. Uh, you know, if I enjoy, if I have pleasure in the right use of the blessings of God, that glorifies him more. And if I exercise power to glorify God, if I use dominion well, that glorifies God. Power is to glorify God. Pleasure is to glorify God. Money is to glorify God. So 
all of that exists to see the knowledge of God increased in you and increased in others and to, the, you know, pleasure and beauty exist to beautify the, the knowledge of God, right? So, so that's, that's, the, that's the stuff we kind of talked about last time. So that's my, my effort to recap that. As we, as we continue on and we think about if we're trying to increase that, right, if, if, the, if we think of ourselves as productive persons and we're trying to think about governing ourselves, we want to govern ourselves to produce the good. Right? We, we, want, we want to govern ourselves in such a way as to increase the output of what's good. And, and, can, so, I just, and can I just add to in the relationship to um, – the because uh, part of the context is this. Let's not forget is around the topic of Christian nationalism, uh, civic covenanting, and the downfall of America. And I've, and the, the, what people see is they want to do something to try and stop this train from going off the tracks, but they they can't seem to find where the handles are at or where the emergency brake is at to to stop this cart. And it's because they're so busy looking um, and. And the front side of it, it's like you actually have brakes and engine and control with your own self-government. Yeah. That really is where, because that's where you have all the authority. I can't go and change the White House overnight. I can't go and change, um, you know, a lot of places that I would like to change overnight. But I can go into my house tonight and say, family, we are repenting before God. And the things that we did the day before, we're not doing anymore. Here's the new things we're going to do in faith. It might take us time to do these things well, but this is a direction we're going. And our whole homes can all change overnight. Yes. And that's because that's where we have the authority to really affect uh, change. But nobody wants to start there. And But starting there has a massive effect on everything in American society in the world for that matter. So I just want to make sure everybody understands this is the context in which we're, in which we're talking. Go ahead, David. Absolutely. And, and I think one of the things that you and I keep saying to each other over and over again is that people do not understand how large the household is or how large the individual is, right? Mm. Like with the household, like you know, we talk about the idea of the great houses, right? That there are, like, there are houses that can have a dramatic influence. They can have tons of wealth. They can have lots of people, lots of servants, whatever. You all know House Musk. You all know House Gates. You all know House Jobs. You all know House Ford. Come on now. Know, right? So the, the, why not? Why not Christian houses, right? Why not great Christian houses? And so the, the goal of making your house, you know, Abraham had 318 catechized servants that went with him to war, right? He was like, men, we have to go save Lot and his house. Let's go to war. And they said, yes, sir. And they picked up swords at his command and initiated a night raid against a superior army of a coalition of kings. Do you yes. have servants that would do that for you? You know, like mm. that is mm. what we need to be building. Our houses need to have that sort of thing. So the idea of self-government is, is also large, and we don't appreciate it. Your mind is a world, right? You, 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 you are stuck in your own mind, right? You, you have to deal with it. And, and wise men have treasures stored up in their hearts of wisdom, right? The, the process of you and I talking is the discussion of we're each, we're, we're trying to lay out the treasures that are in the treasuries of our hearts. We're saying, here are the treasuries that, that we have, that the Lord has given to us. Here are Here is this golden thing. Here is this implement. Here's that instrument. Here are these treasures that have been given to us that are stored up in us, and we're vessels of clay. So 
The Lord Jesus Christ has revealed to us by his word and spirit treasures that are stored up. And, and in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right? There, there's none of them that are outside of him. He has a monopoly on the truth and a monopoly on wisdom. And so we need to acknowledge that. And if we want the world of our own souls to be filled with these treasures so that we have the enjoyment of those treasures, if you get wisdom, you get it for yourself. You can benefit other people, but you're going to get the benefit. Right? Mm. There, there's, there's no losing out on the benefit of wisdom. And so you, you are equipping a world that you are stuck in. And so your soul is, is as large or as small as the amount of wisdom in it. And, and if you want to be petty, you can do that by avoiding wisdom. And if you want to be magnanimous, if you want to be a great mind, fill it with wisdom, fill it with the treasuries of the wisdom of God. And so that makes it so you have this, this whole range of stuff to explore. And your interpretation of life and the world becomes so much deeper than everybody else's, right? The same thing happens and everybody else is like, oh, okay. And you're like, I have you know, essays of thoughts about this thing. Right? And, and so the idea of storing up treasures in the world of your mind, and that makes it so you can create a glorious world for the people who are under your authority. Remember the Queen of Sheba said to Solomon, blessed are your servants. And blessed are those who hear you, right? This idea that, that Solomon had this world of wisdom and he was able to express all of this wisdom and to be this, 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 this word that came forth from him that was the word of God. It was helpful to create wisdom in the minds of those who were around him. And so there's this beauty that's manifest there. And so there's a relationship between you know, the knowledge of God, right? So you have the, 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 how do you know? You have the reality that it aligns with, that God is what, the, that, what is revealed. You have the idea of what's good. God is the good, and he teaches us what's good in his law. And that makes what is beautiful because the aesthetics, this mm. idea of like what is beautiful is what's fitting, what's orderly. There's a, whole, there's, a, there's a beauty of holiness. Holiness is being focused on the right thing. And so we talked earlier about Jesus and how he just oh, focuses. Yeah. I'm sorry, you're going to get there. Yeah, focus on the right thing. Holiness is being focused on the right thing. Keep going, keep going. I just want, that's and, a and, really good, yeah. And there's a beauty of it. So Jesus is this beautiful, masculine man who is doing these glorious things. And women are beautiful feminine women when they are devoted to glorifying God in a feminine mm. way. And so the, the, the beauty of masculinity and the mm. beauty of femininity are manifested in them being distinct in their roles and purposes, focused on the glory of God, that, that they're designed according to their, their proper station in accordance with the fifth commandment. And so that beauty is manifested. And that's true of everything. Every law has beauty with it, right? There's, there's a beauty to in dis, industry. There's a, beauty, there's a beauty to honesty, even in the face of much pressure to be dishonest. Right? There's, there's beauty in protecting other people's reputation at the harm of your own reputation, right? You can take every law and you can find something beautiful there that you can make art that makes men cry, right? So that right there, that's, 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 that's what I'm trying to communicate is that there is a beauty there and what we need to do is think about how do we manifest that and maximize that efficiently? How do we get focused to produce what's good and to do that in a beautiful way? I might ask a question that's too early for where you are in your notes. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, <laughs> you know, everything you just said, here's, here's the thing that comes to my mind as you were talking. Um, what you were saying and how you were saying it married to the point that it was beautiful. And the first thought in my head was, man, I want that. 
man, I want that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I want that in a real way because um, what good is it to have a nation that is doing great without the foundation of the nation doing well? The right. people. I, I want my home doing wonderful. Oh, my family thriving. I want that first, right? I want that first. Um, you know, praise God that, you know, in his grace, he allows us to have a nation that's crumbling and pockets of um, Goshen around that, right. you know, we, we have a protection there. Thank God for that. But I don't, I want the family right first. The church is right first. Um, but how do, what, what are some things that I can do this week before our next conversation next week at the same time that we started? 1.30 Pacific Standard Time. Uh, what what are some things I can be doing this week that advance dominion with my personal, with my, my self-government? What are some practical things, like three to five, or wherever you want to go? You're a Puritan, so you probably got 15. So with with this, um, with those applications, so so first of all, the most important thing is is to be worshiping God in private, right? So so you on a daily basis need to eat the bread of life, right? This is, give us this day our daily bread. We pray for that. And if we act contrary to it, then we should repent. Um, and so this idea that the bread of life, you know, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so what we need to do is we need to, we need to seek to worship God by praying to him daily, praying to the Father in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be reading the scriptures and we need to be singing psalms. And if you're not singing psalms, you're missing out. God wrote a book of songs in the middle of the mm. Bible, and it was given to us, and it's meant to shape our affections. Um, and so then you need to be doing that with your family. So you do it by yourself, and you do it with your family. And when you do it with your family, then what you're going to – I need you to bless your family. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 need to, you, I need to find out that there are men out there that are raising hands over their family Come on and now. using the ironic blessing, right? And so – calling blessing over their family, calling the, the, the appalling blessing of grace and peace to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or, or whatever, whatever. Give, give your family blessing, right? And then in addition to giving the family, uh, you know, leading the family in worship, giving to them their daily bread and giving them blessing, in addition to that, what we need is men who are, you're working hard and you're thinking, how do I apply the law of God to my work? Can I, right. can I before you yes. go on fa- family, okay, so private worship. Family yes. worship. Okay. I just want to point out and then, and then, um, uh, economy, right. Is that work? Right. So the, would you say, uh, this is still part of family inside of this working, right? That would that be so, fair? So you're, so you're governing yourself with your private worship. Yep. This idea of, 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 of family worship. If you've got a family you to do that, if you don't have a family, you just need to be doing morning and evening worship yourself. If it's just you, if you're household one, great household worship is you. So do your private worship by yourself and then call your family together of just you and do family worship in the evening. And, and so then, and then this idea of work, whether it's in the household and you're, you're part of somebody else's household or whether it's you leading your own household or, or whether you're, you know, just, uh, you're self-employed and you're by yourself. Okay. You, you do your work to the glory of God. Think about the law of God. Go look at the Westminster Larger Catechism on the law and start thinking about how you would apply that to your work, right? You're, you're spending most of your waking hours, you know, Monday through Friday, probably doing work that's economic work. Start thinking about how to apply the law of God to that. And, okay, I and, just I just want to point out what you just did. So remember when we started this conversation, we started looking at Jesus and how did he not waste his time? 
right? Right. And how did he? And then he poured himself in the people, and the knowledge of God advanced, and the twelve followed the same process. That's the way that we go about doing this. And you just laid out the process: private worship. He, the garden in Christ, was restored to proper relationship with God, right? And he, both being man and God, having that perfect bond, was able to function properly towards the world in which God made. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he did everything that he did was to please the Father, right? Right. Everything that he did. And so, and then, so, so, and so us doing our private worship, right relationship with God, and then you have this multiplied in your wife. It goes back to the garden again. She's a help me, right? You have this multiplied in your children. Teach them everything I can. Deuteronomy 6, right? That's they're supposed to learn and grow up. When you stand up, when you lay down, when you go along the way, they learn what it is to be human through the relationship with God, seeking the true good. Then they live their lives in the process of that. So you've multiplied in just doing these two things. You've already multiplied the knowledge of God in a very real way in a week. In a right. week, this is just talking about a week, right? right. Um, and then, and now we're getting to work. So now you've got another group of people that you're around that you touch, and in being a good servant to someone else, you're leading and teaching them about what it means to understand the knowledge of God and to seek the true good. Yes, uh, this is so good. It multiplies just in doing these basic things. The 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 biblical idea and standard multiplies massively throughout the week. Absolutely. And, and, and if you, and if you have authority at work, it multiplies out because you're, if you're going to apply it to your work, you can start discipling people who are under your authority there. If you're under somebody else's authority, if you don't, if you don't have anybody you're governing and it's just your own actions and your own witness to them, right? You're either going to be a powerful witness and encourage godliness, even to the people who are over you, or you're going to get fired for righteousness sake. And it's going to be one of the best things that's ever happened to you. Mm. If you get if you're worried about something that the law of God commands you to do and you think it might get you fired, do it and get fired and praise God. And then you will see how God blesses it. What do um, you mean? What do you mean by working uh in accordance with the law of God? So um, first of all, you want to think about how can I glorify God with my work? That's the first commandment, right? The second thing you want to do is to figure out, you want to make sure to avoid any sort of idolatry or anything like that. You also want to figure out how can you use your ordinary work to communicate you know, truth to other people in a way that honors the Lord. You want to avoid hypocrisy with the third commandment. And you want to make sure to do it in the way where you're using your time well and you're honoring the Lord's day. So you avoid doing things that would violate the Sabbath. You avoid doing ordinary work and recreation on uh, on the Lord's day, but you seek to work diligently in your ordinary work then and to enjoy the blessings of God on those other days. Um, and then uh, you're also thinking about honoring legitimate authority in the fifth commandment, including honoring your boss. Be the most honoring servant he has. Be the most honoring servant he has. Um, walk to, when he walks in the room, stand. You know, do, you, you need to, you need to, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Right, you, you you want to honor legitimate authority and do the commands well. Seek to fulfill this. Mm-hmm. Um, then, what you're thinking about is this idea that how do you work in such a way as to make sure that you can care for your own life and the life of others? How can you, you know, you you don't want to be putting unjust anger and hatred onto people. Like if, as a boss, you can really like create tons of stress for people, um, mm. or you can help to you can avoid unnecessary stress. Sometimes you got to put stress on people. Like you got to rebuke people. You tell them they're doing something wrong. You tell them the truth. Tell them they got to carry weight. Whatever. That's all real. But you don't want to create unnecessary stress, but just being, you know, unstable. A part of the duty of a man and a part of a duty of a manager is to figure out how to keep stability 
when there's something that somebody else can't affect, right? So you just go, I'm going to carry weight and there's certain information that's not helpful to share with somebody else. And so you just, you, you deal with it. But when they've got something else they got to do or you need them to get on board with something, okay, you share the information they need to have. But so, you know, you can shorten people's life by creating too much stress for them, right? Or by stealing sleep from them or, or whatever else, right? So you're, you're thinking about the sixth commandment. You're providing for your people. You're, you're taking care of stuff. You're helping to reduce stress unnecessarily on other people. And, you know, if you can carry weight for your, for your boss, you know, you know, he who tends to the fig tree will eat of its fruit. A master that tends to his servant will eat of the fruit too. Right, so there's this that there's this idea that you 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 should care for and carry weight, and that's a part of how you get more authority. Seventh commandment teaches us to put into moderate place uh, the pleasures of this life, and so we don't squander our wealth on tracing after drink or women or you know after the you know the dainties of the rich. Right, we don't we don't we don't chase after delicate foods and all that kind of stuff, trying to you know expend all of our our resources on luxuries. Uh, the eighth commandment, you work diligently so that you have something to give as opposed to stealing. And you seek to have things for generosity, for hospitality, for investment, to give an inheritance to the next generation. But these are all applications of the law of God. The ninth commandment, you tell the truth. You don't lie in marketing and you don't lie elsewhere. And you don't harm reputations unjustly. And uh, you, you, you own stuff, right? And you're careful about process and you're careful in the workplace about other people's reputation. You don't malign a servant to his master unjustly, right? Those kinds of things. Uh, and then the 10th commandment, not, not coveting, right? So your right attitudes in, in the workplace are going to make it so that you are more joyful and it honors the Lord. And, and so those are all applications. It's just you're coming up with it. But you study this. You meditate on it day and night, and it results in you bearing fruit. The law of God has many applications to work, and we should be thinking about it all the time. And, and so when you're called to choose between keeping the law of God or, or doing what your employer tells you, you better keep the law of God, obey God rather than man, right? So those are, those are applications. And so, so this other thing is, oh. you know, the fifth thing I would have said, or the fourth thing I would have said is the Sabbath, right? Work six days, work hard six mm. days, and then make sure you rest on the Lord's day. And that's one of those major time rhythms and the focus of our time. Um, so th those are those big applications, right? Morning worship, evening worship, this idea of applying the law of God to your work, um, and then the, the Lord's Day. Those are the big time rhythms that you need. And, and those are the things, and you need this law focused on your work. That's, that's That right there, if you think about it carefully, will make it so that you become a dominion man in a really powerful way. And the fifth one is the tithe. Right? Mm. The, the Sabbath, God forces you to become a project manager. And the tithe, he makes you an accountant. Right? And, that, that's, oh, I, and that's... I never heard that before. I never heard that before. Okay. I didn't, I didn't, he must not know I'm not good at calculus or math, but I guess he said I got to be good at it any, any, anyway. So, uh, thank you, Lord. And just say thank you when you can't do stuff well from the Lord. He just tells you to do it. You just, um, you just do it. So I became account manager. That's a. You're going to be an accountant and a project manager. You're going to manage oh the my time. Goodness. You're, going to, you're going to account for the resources and you're going to. I don't to like this show anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like this show. Is it over yet? <laughs> Oh my goodness. But, but wait, but listen to this. There, there's a promise. If you keep the Sabbath, the Lord promises that you will ride the high places of the earth. There's a promise of power. The church has abandoned the Sabbath and we've also lost our power. Do you think there's a correlation? Um, you know, the Lord promises prosperity that he'll fill all of barns if we tithe. And, you know, many people are complaining about how they can't make it anymore. Okay, well, are you tithing? You know, mm. and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying send me you know, a tenth of your income, and but I will you can. make you. Right. But you, but you can. You know, so I need five saying. people to touch the screen right now. God uh, just told me he's okay. See, I'm good. I'm. You, I can do that. I, I need, still live. You, you need to give it to your local church, right? Where you where you're a member, you need to give it there. Okay, um, and so that that's where that needs to go.
And, um, and, and you will find if it's a faithful church, um, that it, it honors the Lord to do that. And, and that makes it so that there's blessing that comes with it. So, and I'm not saying that's mechanistic. I'm not saying blah, 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 blah. God, you know, it's not that. No, no, no. Not, I, but those the, are, those are real promises. Um, right. They're real. They're there. God wrote them. Um, Okay, I want to do this. I'm going to jump in here real quick. I'm, what were you going to say? Number six? No, that's it. That's all okay. I got. I'm, okay. trying, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to go back to the the now the the how do you have the throughput piece right? But yeah, I I got to do this real quick because I just seem I know that you're not looking for an offering, but uh, buddy, you surely deserve one. Uh, you don't need my help to do this, but I'm I'm going to tell you right now. Everybody needs to go to armor uh, ar500armor.com. Go get some body armor. Just, 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 if you don't need, first of all, you need it because, um, you know, it helps advance liberty, right? Uh, but also, right. I want you to bless this man. David Reese is not talking about stuff that he is just giving good advice on. I've been to his company. Can I bust you out? You got to give me permission to do this. Can I, I bust you? I, I, I am, I am not feeling, not feeling <laughs> But say what you want to say. I'm sorry. Can I bless? Is it is it okay? Or should I just? Okay, okay, okay. Yes, thank you. Yeah, um, thank you for blessing me. Yes. This I came to his company, and in his morning meetings, he is loving on his leaders in such a way to teach them these things in the law of God, going through the Ten Commandments, and showing how, not just. Um, you know, the religious side of it and the worship side, that's all there, but also what it means to the business, what it means to love the customer, what it means to do things well. And I'm watching him implement these things. And I think I really believe in watching over the years now why God has blessed this company. And we need men like Bishop to exist and we need companies like this to exist because I'm telling you, <laughs> the, first of all, it's an armor company. We know we all need this to exist, right? But, um, and you know why. But also, this is a blessing to us. This is why he's able to take the time out. He's doing so many other things. He takes the time out to sit here and talk with me. Go buy you some body armor to say thank you. And and it's gonna. It's not like it's not going to do anything for you. It's going to protect you. It's going to keep you. You need to be training with it. If you have a pistol, if you have a rifle, those are things you need to buy first. But right yes. after that purchase, you get you some body armor and you train with it. It's good for you to know how to put it on. I, I have a couple different pieces. I have one in my bedroom right next to my bed. And I have a go bag so that I can just toss it on. So... You should have that stuff, especially living in the negative world. That we're, I'm not trying to do a large commercial for you, but I am trying to do one to say, like, go go say amen to what this man just said and um, buy you some body armor. AR500.com, AR500.com. Um, Bishop, Re Bishop Reese is the president of the company, and he's not just talking this. He's living it. And because of it, he'll tell you that God is blessing him and is blessing his company, and I've seen it firsthand. All right, Bishop, what else you got on the on the ballot? So – if we talk about this idea of our goal, if we're thinking about the, the 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 productivity of our lives is increasing in the knowledge of God, spreading that, displaying that, um, then what we're what we're trying to figure out is how do we how do we open up the constraints on that, and mm. so how do we make it so that there's there's more throughput of that, um, and the reality is that we we think that stuff is good unless God forbids it. 
Mm. And, and that's not true. Stuff is only good when God commands it. Mm. Right? There, there are, the law of God is sufficient to show us what we should spend our time on. And, and if you don't understand what I mean, what you're going to say is, well, the law of God doesn't tell us how to drive a car. And I'm going to say, that's not moral knowledge. That's art. Okay. That's techne. That's technology. That's, that's, that's skill. Is okay. techne a thing? Techne? Is that yeah, a so, Greek? So yeah, Greek. So yeah. So yeah. there's gnosis, knowledge, and then there's yeah. techne, which is art or skill. That's right. yeah, yeah, In okay. Latin, you have scantia or science, right? And you have- All art. right. You don't have to show off now. We yeah, got okay, it. <laughs> So, so one, 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 I've got one more. I've got to do this. Forgive me. I shouldn't have started off with that. But whatever. Okay, fine. So, so, so I know Latin. I don't know Latin. I could, I just say Latin words because occasionally it makes people. I could trick people into thinking I might know Latin. Um, oh God! Didn't ask. That was um, good. I'm sorry, man. I had, I, had a, I had a college class one time with a professor who spoke German, and I made the mistake. Of of referencing a German word, I was like, oh yeah, blah blah blah, and and he was like, and he just started talking to me in German. I went, I have no idea what you mean. <laughs> I had one word that I took out of a book on this subject, <laughs> and like that's the fear of my life, man. I ain't gonna lie, that's so me. Oh, I know a word. <laughs> so, uh, so 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 yeah, that that category. My, my my reason for saying this is there's knowledge. Right, and then there's and then there's the skill, and, and knowledge is not the same thing as skill. Salvation is by knowledge of doctrine, mm. and it results in us being more and more able to skillfully apply it. But the skill is not the same thing. We're not saved by a certain amount of skill. We are saved by the knowledge of doctrine, and and so justification is by grace alone, right? God's favor to us. He gives us faith by His grace. And then that faith is the knowledge of the truth. It is, it is, you know, John 17, 3, this is everlasting life, to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent, right? It's the knowledge of God that is the instrument of justification. And so the skill that comes out of that is, is something that's, that's distinct there. And so this idea of developing the skill um, that we have to do things is important. And and the, well, my original point here that I got on the track was, and the, you said the Bible doesn't teach us everything. It doesn't teach us how to drive a car. Well, that's a skill. Okay. It doesn't teach us how to, how to make, you know, how to make you know, proper metallurgy. Or, okay. That's a skill, right? So dominion work is a skill set. And the knowledge of God is different from arts. And we used to, in, in universities, they used to have the bachelor of arts and the bachelor of science. The bachelor of science would be in things like, you know, theology, well, now we have a Bachelor of Arts in religion as though as a religion is made up by men. Some of it mm. is, but but you know, the true religion is made up by God. It's knowledge, right? It's not it's not a, a thing that men make by their artifice. And so when we have the idea of true knowledge is that which God has revealed, and the idea that skill is stuff where we are developing capacity, it's the state of the art. You have a professional opinion, not professional knowledge. And so you're developing capacity to do that. So my, my point in saying that is the law of God is sufficient to cover everything, right? It, it, it covers the waterfront. And so the law of God gives us the ability to make all these decisions. So if you read question 99 in the larger catechism, it gives these principles for interpreting the law that helps you to understand how the Ten Commandments are used as heads of doctrine to organize the whole of life. And so I want people to understand that the law of God covers the whole of what the good life looks like. 
And so if you're trying to increase your productivity of the, of the knowledge of God, what you want to do is you want to look for doing good works that are commanded, not just what can I get away with? What is, what is it that I'm not forbidden from doing? Instead, it's what am I commanded to do? And so you want to do good works that you have warrants to do from the word of God so that you're not wasting your time. And the Middle Ages was chock full of Christian or you know, at least Christian in name, people doing stuff that they thought were good works that were not commanded in scripture, but were instead things from human invention, from tradition, from ancient tradition even, from church authority, and yet they were not good works, things like pilgrimages and whatnot. And we have no pilgrimages in the New Covenant era, right? So, so this, this idea that, that you want to be doing good works as defined by the law of God, that's what we're saved to. The law of God is a lamp unto your feet to show you the way that you should go. So that throughput, we want to do the things that God commands, we want to avoid procrastination, which, you know, you're a slave to procrastination. I'm a slave to procrastination. We all are to a certain degree. That's because we think that there's something else worth doing more. We, it's not worth the sacrifice. It's not whatever. The knowledge of the truth frees you from that. It mm. gradually destroys it. When you're procrastinating, you need to ask yourself, what is the lie I'm believing that's making it so that I believe avoiding the suffering of doing this work is better than the suffering of doing the work? Fools so, think like that, right? Right, right. And, and so that battle with yourself, when you're procrastinating, you need to call yourself a fool and you need to go, how do I overcome this? What's the lie, right? So the knowledge of God is what sets you free from procrastination. The knowledge of God is what sets you free from wrong prioritization. One of the ways we procrastinate is by doing less important stuff, less valuable stuff to avoid having to do the really hard and valuable things. So you can even do work and avoid, right, the stuff you really should be doing. So proper prioritization and avoiding procrastination, these are key parts of governing yourself well. The law of God teaches you how to properly prioritize, and it gives you the order of loves. Christian nationalists have talked about this a lot recently, and they're right. There's an order of love in terms of which neighbor you're supposed to love first, right? So, so this idea of that, and the covenant institutions show you the order of loves. So, Hey, hey Dave, uh, um, I know you got a bunch you want to get through, but could you— and maybe a sentence or two, make it really clear for people to know what it is they should really be doing now. Because I think you're right. We will work in order not to do the thing that we should be doing. And then we'll lie to ourselves and tell us that the thing we're working on is the most important thing. But how do you really know what the most important thing is to do? Yeah. So right now, right, everybody has, um, you, you look around and you go, okay, what are some of the, what are the, some of the major problems in your own life? For you governing yourself, you're worried about your soul, you're worried about your body. You're worried about their, your capacity, your skill set to be able to use your body effectively to accomplish things externally, and and you're you're worried about the the, the property, the the um, the capital. This goes, this goes right back to the order of loves that you were just talking about, right? That's right in this too. Yeah, okay. Right, and so for yourself, you need to care first for your soul, then for your body, then for your skill set, and then for property. Right. So this mm. is just this is in the self government thing. Those are the four things to care for in the proper order. So if you don't have, you know, if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't believe the scriptures, you need to repent and believe. That's the first thing you need to do, right? So believe the gospel, right? Lord Jesus Christ paid for the sins of all the elect. If you believe Jesus Christ died to pay for your sins, that he's the God man, right? That he is a, a member of, of the Trinity and that he did these things and that he has the authority to give you commandments and you need to obey him and you've broken his commandments and so you deserve to go to hell. If you believe that, you're saved, right? And if you don't believe that, you need to repent and believe. And so that's the, that's the care for the soul. And then you need to grow in the knowledge of God and applying the law and think about how to use your body in service to God. And the time order we talked about, your know, morning, evening, evening worship, the Sabbath, you need to use, put your body in the proper places and use it properly and engage your mind properly in those things. So, so then you think that's about, good. so then you need to get yourself into proper work to have useful things to share with other people. 
and you need to be able to do more, right? So generosity, hospitality, uh, the idea of having money to be able to invest, to accomplish more things. Um, and so, and, and the idea of tithing. And so the ordering of time, the ordering of property, the putting yourself to good use, you're making yourself into a productive person. He who steals, let him steal no longer. Let him instead do work that he has something to give, to share, right? The, 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 there are these there are these principles of getting yourself basically in order. Do you have a widow that's, you know, your mom or like your aunt or something that's not being taken care of? You know, you know, you know take care of her, right? Do you have children that you're not properly taking care of? Take care of them. Do you have a wife you're not properly taking care of? Take care of them. There's this, there's this, you're getting closer to yourself and you have this order of obligations that you need to deal with. Um, and so if you're a bad servant, um, you need to stop stealing from your master and you need to be a good servant. Right, so this idea that you need to work well, earn your wages, and make it so that you're worthy of higher pay. Um, and as you as you make money, put some savings aside and start figuring out how you can deploy that capital to get more money, and figure out how to free up your time. Right, there's if if you are having to work for somebody else and you're doing hand to mouth, you need to figure out how to get things in order. The order of priority here to make it so you have basic financial competency for yourself. Start tithing. Know your income. Figure out how you can get some of it to go to savings. If you if your things are in disorder, there's three areas where you're probably misspending. The first thing that people Americans spend the most money on is on their housing. If you're overspending on housing, figure out how to reduce that cost. Get roommates. Do whatever you got to do there. Figure out how to make it so you have a living condition that's affordable for you. The next one is transportation, cars. People overspend on cars. Don't buy a new car. I've never bought a new car. I've bought, maybe maybe when I'm ten times richer, I'll buy a new car. I don't know. Like like if you're buying a new car, you're crazy. The second year, like you've already got half the value gone out of it. Buy a car that's two years old, three years old. Like what are you doing? You know. And 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 this this, this you know don't overspend on transportation. Um, but you know, efficiently deal with transportation costs. Um, and then there's also this idea of food, right? Where people overspend on food. Now, sometimes it makes sense to buy food out or whatever, you know, that, that's fine. It can be efficient, but do, do the analysis on it, right? Some people are just blowing all of the money they make on housing, cars, and food. Okay. And, and so those three things, that's where, those are the top three expenditures that people have besides taxes. And so if you think about the idea of, you know, we're tyrannically taxed and you're probably not going to get away with, you know, avoiding paying the tyrannical taxes, um, then your, your major expenses that you can adjust are going to be, you know, your housing, your vehicle and food. So think about those, start getting capital together. And until you've got capital that's sufficient to make it so that you can go pay other people to do work that you can make money on or to free up your own time so you don't have to spend all your time making a wage for somebody else, you need to be accumulating capital to get free. So your time is free and you can start buying other people's time to get more stuff done. And so you govern yourself well. And if you can't govern yourself well enough to make enough money and to save money so that you can actually start to build up capital, then there's a self-governance problem. Not always, right? God has jobs, right? Sometimes he just destroys everything you got and kills everybody you love. Is that what happened to you? you know? So if that's not what happened to you, then what is the thing that's going on? And so if the Lord does that, then don't curse him, Right. Instead, bless his name and know that he will bless you, right? So that, mm. that work, that's the, that's the thing that needs to be dealt with. You need to get your estate into a place where you can do that. And the division of labor is the thing that multiplies things out. You've got lots of stuff you're terrible at. You need to figure mm. out how to not do those things, how to figure out how to outsource those things onto other people. Uh, part of that occurs in marriage. One of the great things about marriage is that women do some stuff better than men and men do some stuff better than women. And you divide the work up and you make us everybody happier and you get more done. And so there's more wealth to distribute. The same is true with children. And so you do that in voluntary relationships with friends and with servants. But the servants are the people you're paying and the friends are the people that choose to be around you because it's better than doing something else. And if you don't have a voluntary relationship, you've got a covenant relationship. 
So wives, children, um, the idea of people who are church members with church officers and in the state, those are the non-voluntary associations. And one of the great problems we've got is that we view marriage and we view church membership as voluntary associations rather than covenant relationships where the Lord God Almighty commands you to be faithful to those relationships. Mm. And so those things right there, figuring out how to divide labor and to figure out how to make it so that distribution of labor, the free market is the best way to deal out with the voluntary elements of it. But the, the free market doesn't say that you can throw your wife away when you're tired of her. And the free market doesn't say you can throw away your church when you're tired of it. It says that you're, you're obligated to apply the law of God in conflict resolution with both of those and to deal with those covenant relationships in special ways. I don't have time to go into the details on that, but those, those are the key things. These are the key actions that people need to do to get their lives in order to figure out how to properly care for their souls, then their bodies, then their skill set, then build up their estate, think about how to deal with the division of labor effectively so they can free up their time and build up their assets more so they can do more good work as opposed to just having to chase what's necessary for their momentary sustenance. Well, I'm glad I don't have any hair on the top of my head because I think you just melted it off. Yes, Jacob, I agree with you. This is awesome. <laughs> Darren Stitt said, that piece on marriage and church membership, I'll just pull it up there. Church membership being non-voluntary is incredibly important. Yes, it is, Darren. It is. Um, wow. Where can people find your sermons at? PuritanPHX.com. Uh, PuritanPHX.com. That's uh, PHX is short for Phoenix. Um, you can find those there. There's a sermon audio page as well. But uh, if you go to our, our website, you can find out more about our church. And if you're in Phoenix, uh, come worship with us. Learn to sing psalms. And um, we'd love to be able to talk to you about the possibility of serious discipleship relationships. And if you're living someplace else and there's not a good church there, uh, reach out to us at our thing at, at our webpage there. If you're looking for a solid church and trying to figure things out, like we will talk to people about ways of trying to help them, bless them, deal with that, help to find work, whatever. But um, you know, people should visit before they make something like a choice, like a like a life move. Mm. Well, you have homework. You know, he listed those five things. And there's so many people that started tuning in towards the end of this. I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems getting this list. Ain't one. <laughs> You're going to have to go back and uh, get this list. It is available inside of the restream that's happening. Private worship, family worship, work according to the law, and tithing. Uh, oh, rest. Don't forget rest. Sabbath. Sabbath. That's right. I didn't forget Sabbath. All right, y'all. We out of here. Remember we'll see you Sabbath. next week. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, brother. Yeah.